0: I'll be reading from Acts 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on the tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, the, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, freed as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the spirit Gave him as he spoke. But they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. So we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well done. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Let's take a deep breath. Acknowledge the presence of the Spirit. He's among us. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving the world in this way that you sent your only son so that whoever believes in him should never die but have what Jesus calls life to the full forever. Here we are as your community of fullness of life. Your community filled and animated by the Holy Spirit. Would you now... Breathe on our our ears, that we would hear what your spirit would say to the church through the scriptures. May we leave not just inspired, but actually filled with your own life, to live the way you you call us and see us living in the new heavens and new earth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So as I said um, before Faith read the the text, next week we start Galatians. But today, uh, the first Sunday of 2022, uh, I want to look at the life of one of the most, to me, fascinating individuals in the entire Bible. Every every new year, for whatever reason, this man uh, bubbles up in my mind. Um, Something about, you know, uh, transitions and new things, Brings this man to my to my, my heart, and so um, I'm just so struck by the life of this person. So, so his name's Stephen. We just read it. Uh, now I gave I gave a teaching on Stephen's life about five years ago. You guys, uh, Park Hill Church was planted on Christmas Eve. We launched Christmas Eve 2017, and way earlier in that year, before Easter 2017, we opened up to Stephen's life. And uh, before our church was even named Park Hill, it didn't even have a name. Um, And and we looked at Stephen by name. And and we looked to him because of the life of Jesus we see through him. And we wanted to be marked by the same things. And so today I sense the Spirit leading us back to this man's example as we step into a new year full of (laughs) 2022, right? Full of uncertainty. We've heard that word a lot, uncertainty. How There's some coming into 2022. How do you feel? There's some nods, there's some sarcastic smiles beneath those masks, maybe, but uh, yeah, like how how we're all coming to this new year with with questions, and we'd love to see some resolution culturally, socially. We'd love for things to change, in many ways. Uh, it's uncertain, but what we see from Stephen is there was, there was there was a time that he was living in. It was a time of a tremendous violence, uncertainty. Uh, political aggression against the church, and yet his his life is marked by opportunity. He's he's not defined by uncertainty. He's defined by this this huge gospel opportunity in front of him. And so, um, we read from Acts six, and I just love Stephen. He's a typical person in many ways, unassuming. He's not one of the apostles. You know, he's not the lead pastor. He's not the guy up here with the mic. He's taking communion with the family. Um, he, but he went on to have this extraordinary life. Luke dedicates, Luke wrote Acts. I don't know if you knew that. It's a long book, and Luke gives 10% of his book to just Stephen's life. So there's a lot of real estate about this, this unassuming, non-full-time pastor, regular guy, right? And so I want to look at three things from his life, because if you were to sit me down for, you know, New Year's Day, let's say we went to Dark Horse Coffee or whatever, and we sat down, you're like, Evan, Dark Horse, someone's repping. So you're like, Evan, here's a latte, what are your three dreams for Park Hill? Like, what do you sense God doing? What do you, what do you, what's your, like, what are you thinking most about? Um... And 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 I would point to Stephen. So that's what today is. It's a, it's a standalone New Year thing with Stephen as our guide because he is pointing us to Jesus. So uh, three things, but context first. You know the story, right? Holy Spirit comes. Church is born. I don't know about you, but if I saw tongues of fire on you guys, I'd be like, we made it. God's come. This is amazing. Like, this is the best church ever. But... Uh, But that's not what we see. We don't see the best church ever. It's a mixed bag still. Holy Spirit comes. Miracles happen, yes. But by Acts 5, a couple of people are actually greedy and lie to God and fall over dead. Very challenging passage. And, you know, we're like, I want to be the early church. But, like, not that part. Like, you know, like, I would hate to see a couple that are, like, lying to the rest of the church, like, die at the communion table at Park Hill. That would be a bummer. So, um... So, so the church is messy. And then Acts 6, the passage we just read, I don't know if you picked up on it, but there's cultural, ethnic tensions in this chapter. There's, there's diversity issues here. The widows who are culturally Greek Christians are being ignored because of their culture by the majority culture. And the apostles think it's such a problem That they're like, oh my gosh, we have to hire actively a a staff of Greek cultured individuals to address this problem. They lean into diversity in that moment by the Holy Spirit. And and so they're they're addressing a mess in Acts 6, and the mess doesn't go away. By Acts 10, they're, they're having theological debates over whether Gentiles belong. Ethnic Romans and Greeks. They're debating about that, you guys. So there's a mess still. Mixed with the miraculous, it's also messy. And this is the church that Stephen comes to us from. And, uh, and so in our passage, Stephen is one of the Greek guys, Greek-cultured Christians, that is appointed to address this Greek problem uh, that they were experiencing. And, and Stephen, uh, we don't know much about him. He's a normal guy living his life. And he finds himself chosen for like radical leadership. And it's amazing. That's why, why I love this passage. He's just, he's just a church member. He's not some alpha leader, some full-time pastor, <laughs> or some impressive public figure on Instagram. So you can't hold Stephen up and say, you know, well, he's just one of the apostles because he wasn't. He's a typical, you know, the typical, the typical church person who comes to church tends to think, well, I'm not an apostle. I, like, commute to my office. You know, I'm not a full-time pastor. I can't do all these things. I, I, I you know, I have a commute. Why, so, so I can't look at Paul and Peter. Sometimes we feel we can't look at all these, you know, alpha apostles because I could never be that way. But listen, Stephen tells us the opposite. Stephen tells us, he, he, he asks you a question. Do you think there's a chance that if there's a problem in this church, you will be elected? You will be seen and affirmed and appointed by church leaders and by your community. Oh, she's the woman for this job. He's the man for this hour. Do you walk into Park Hill Church expecting, like, what what if what if God's gonna use me to resolve some serious conflict in the church or to take us to the next phase in our life as a church? Do you walk in with Stephen's sense of opportunity? Because that's kind of my secret evil agenda for you. If I could just put my cards on the table. Like my secret agenda is to get you walking out this door today going, 2022, man, Stephen did that? I could do that. That's my agenda for today. Um, Stephen was just a a regular guy, faithful. Oh, I could do this. And so there's three things that marked him. Number one, first thing that can mark you. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one, this is what they see. So, my first prayer for you is that this 2022 would be the year you resolve in your heart I'm going to figure out who the Holy Spirit is. I'm going to answer those questions about the Spirit, what He does in the life of a believer, and what it means to be filled with God. What does it mean? Maybe it's this kind of abstract idea and it's been out there for you and it kind of freaks you out a little bit. Get familiar with it and get fascinated with him. Let's resolve in our hearts. 2020, Acts 6 verse, year of the Holy Spirit, the year you figure out what that means. So look at at Stephen here, Acts 6 verse 5. It says this, this, this is his election process. He gets selected here. This proposal pleased the group they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Right there, Stephen's resume. I don't know if you've been, I don't know if you have a LinkedIn profile and you have your job resume on LinkedIn. I don't know if you, anybody uses that anymore. I don't know, maybe they do. I, I, lo- I didn't ever get on that train. Maybe that's my fault. But, uh, but you see job descriptions on there. That Steve, Stephen didn't have, you know, exceptional citizen or like civic leader or great rabbi. He didn't have any of those things on his resume. What, what he had was full of faith and the, and the presence of God tangibly on his life. That's what he had. Normal person, chosen for leadership because he's marked by the presence of God. And, and in verse 8, we read, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Full of God full of power. And then verse 10, when the Jewish leaders come against Stephen, the Jewish leaders think he's a, a, a rabble rouser, you know? He's disturbing the peace. And, and look at Stephen's power. They couldn't resist the wisdom with which he spoke. You guys, that's the measurable presence of God in the life of someone completely given to God. Just a normal person, but when the Spirit marks him, he's extraordinarily working for the kingdom. So think of the fruit of the Spirit, What's the first one in the list, if you're familiar? Fruit of the Spirit. Love. Excellent. Whoa, there's a lot of, a lot of Christians in here, it seems. That's great. So what's the second one? Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. faithfulness, It's good. Whoa, you guys even know the order. That's awesome. Um, either you're more awake or just more Christian than the last service. But uh, just kidding. But so, so, so when you think of the Fruit of the Spirit... When you think of the fruit of the Spirit, how much of that patience is in your own life? Gentleness, faithful. We're talking about the measurable evidence of God. How would those nearest you answer that question? The, oh yeah, she's, oh yeah, Alyssa, she's just so much joy. Like when I'm, a, 45 seconds, in a conversation with with Rachel, with Samuel, I'm just so much more joyful for the next hour. Is that how you're spoken of? It's the measurable presence of God, the fruit of the Spirit. So if these things are not happening in your life, if the Holy Spirit is promised, ask yourself, why am I not seeing the promise? Knowing the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, and if it's not happening in your life, How can I, ask yourself, how can I posture myself under the fountain of God's presence this year? What can I, is there things I can do? Um, Because the Holy Spirit is a gift. He takes normal people and and turns them into Stephen's. A gift, the gift of the Spirit is what did this in Stephen's life. So this is my prayer, number one prayer of the three, is that you would just be kind of obsessed with this idea of being animated by the Spirit of God that his breath in your sails is fueling you, not changing your wiring, not changing your personality and making you a whole different person, but actually sanctifying and cleansing you, moving you past sin into this this thing called saint that he has you to become, that looks more like Jesus, but keeps looking more like you at the same time. That's the Holy Spirit's breath pushing you into the world. Like what what would that look like? So let me say something. You're, You're not destined to just grind out another 30 years on your own and then die and then go to heaven. <laughs> that's, not your, that's not your destiny. It's not just you with the same habits and sins and tendencies and patterns and then you just go to heaven when you die. No, God offers the Holy Spirit to change you. So uh, the, best, the best illustration that I, I like to bring up, at least for me, to illustrate this, the power of the Spirit changing you um, it comes from this, uh, this book. It's just this secular dude who wrote his biography, his experience with, uh, with a Navy SEAL. So it's this, this guy named Jesse Itzler. He lives with a Navy SEAL for 30 days. So Jesse Itzler is a New York entrepreneur. I don't know if you've heard me tell this story. I've, I've told it several times over the last four years, uh, but I think it's been a couple years. But uh, Jesse lives in New York. He's an entrepreneur. He invented one of those coconut water companies. So he has millions of dollars. His wife invented Spanx underwear. So she has millions. So like they're like this multimillionaire power couple living in a high rise on Billionaire Row in Midtown Manhattan, and they live in a high rise with like Sting. One of their neighbors is Sting, which is amazing. I want to be neighbors with Sting. He's I love him. But uh, so so Jesse he runs ultra marathons just a classic-driven guy. And so he comes to San Diego, of all places, and he runs an ultra-marathon, a relay with a team, um, in the zoo parking lot. So they section off the entire parking lot for 36 hours, and they do like 124-mile, very not led by the Spirit, <laughs> horrible. Uh, but they do this, like laps around the zoo parking lot for 124 miles with a team. So everybody gets like two hours at a time and and sleeps in between. It just sounds awful. I don't know why. People like him do those kinds of things. And so he, but he sees a one man team and it happens to be this tank like Navy SEAL guy. One man team. He's doing the whole thing alone. Um, He just got crackers in a bag and, and a water for 24 hours nonstop, no stops for bathroom, he just goes. So, so he's, he's owning his zone. And Jesse's like, I want to be him. How, and he goes to this guy, he's like, what's your name? He's like, I'm a Navy SEAL, is all he says. And he's like, check for a month. And, and so he's like, I want you, how about this? You write your own paycheck for a month. I'll pay you whatever you want. So come live with me in my high rise and tell me to do whatever you, I will do whatever you say for 30 days. I'll pay, pay you in advance. And, and, uh, and, you just, and you just tell me to do anything. He's like, on one condition, I'll do it. If you do everything I say, the moment you don't, I will take all the cash you've given me in advance and go away. And Jesse's like, how hard can that be? Let's go. And some of you are groaning in pain at the thought. So, uh, so the first day the seal takes Jesse into the gym, the gym floor of his high rise, which is like private and there's sting doing sit-ups on a medicine ball. And, and he, and he's like, all right, Jesse, give me as many pull-ups as you can give me. And he's like, I think I might be able to do 10. And so he ekes out 10. And he's like, that's pretty good. You're not leaving here, not stopping for bathroom or water or anything until you give me 100. And he just gets mad. He's not a Christian. He starts cussing or whatever. And so so he's like, I can't believe this. But he ends up, after like an hour and a half, he he ekes out 100 after an hour and a half. Uh, And by the end of the story, he does all this crazy stuff. Fantastic read. By the end of the story, he makes this observation that he learned from the seal. He says, when you're absolutely physically done, and you've hit the wall, you're actually at 40% of your physical capacity. You have no idea what you're capable of. And by the end of this journey, he's doing 1,000 push-ups a day, 100 push-ups a day, shaves a minute and a half off his mile pace in a full ultra-marathon. He runs by himself, like, it's amazing. His transformation. And it made me think, as I finished this biography, I'm like... I want to be that. That sounds awesome. Who can I, who can I, what would I look like? Awesome. And awesome. And uh, who, who can I ask to live with me, to help me, I'm thinking. And then, you know, I venture into spirituality. And I'm like, man, I wonder what would happen to my whole soul, my whole person as a child of God, if Jesus of Nazareth, they say he might have been short, like four foot ten, brown skin, Aramaic speaking, Jesus of Nazareth, in person, lives in my guest room. And I have an interpreter who tells me what he says, like, and he tells me what to do for 30 days. What would happen to me as a person if I did the same covenant, the same commitment for 30 days with Jesus? And then it occurred to me, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have... Christ through the Holy Spirit living in me 24 7, I just must be asleep. What would your life be like if you spent the entire month of January 2022 consciously saying, from January 3rd to February 3rd this year, you know what, Holy Spirit, you, you've done extraordinary things in history, in the scriptures, through Stephen, and I've seen what you've done throughout church history. Here's my life 30 days. Whatever you say to me, I'll do it. I'll do it and see what happens. What? What if you did that? What if we access someone who's far better than a Navy SEAL who actually is living with us, and realize we have something way better than that in 2022? We have Christ Himself through the indwelling power of the Spirit shaping our lives. So, listen. If you if you like in your in your heart, you've just said, you know, I'm not that good of a Christian. I'm not like them. I'm not that good at following Jesus. I mean, I'm kind of okay. I get around to reading my Bible or I kind of, you know, I have some mentors from a distance that I want to be like, but I'll never be like them. I'm just going to sort of wrestle with patterns and I'm going to just sort of have doubt and I'll never really answer my question about this discrepancy I see in the Bible or this doubt I see out in the world, like, I'm just kind of not that great of a Christian. If, that, if that's you, listen, you are nowhere near your full spiritual potential. You're not done. The Holy Spirit can fill your life and actually change you. So church family, one dream I have for you as we move forward into whatever's next is that you would say, I'm living With the Holy Spirit, full contact, total obedience, 2022. I'm going to see what he does. I'm going to see the result. I'm going to see the fruit of the Spirit falling off of my tree into the lives of others. And so that's number one, Holy Spirit filling. Here's, Here's number two from Stephen's life. Theological depth. Here's what I mean by that. Theological depth. When you look at Stephen, you don't just see miraculous signs. You do see that. But not just that. At the heart of Stephen's life, you see this remarkable scriptural integration. He understands the Bible, he understands the story and how he fits into it. So he is performing signs and miracles. But listen, I don't know if you've ever read Acts 7. We didn't read Acts 7. But when you do, like, email me what you think. It's incredible. It's one of the longest sermons recorded in the Bible, and it's Stephen throwing down a complete overview of the Old Testament and telling Israel's Bible scholars how they got Israel wrong. It's amazing, his command of Scripture. In front of an entire Jewish court, he's like, here's the point of the Jews. It's actually Jesus. So, uh, if you read the story, you see the Jews have Stephen on trial. And they're like, Stephen, are you truly a disturber of the peace? Defend yourself. And Stephen's like, he goes, I love his attitude. He's like, brothers and fathers, listen to me. I'm going to tell you like it is, he actually says. And, and he just throws down. We didn't read the chapter, but his, his basic sermon is three points. And these three points are still being, sh- the church is still shocked. Today over Stephen's sermon, the shockwaves are reverberating out of pastors and Christians all over the world are still like mining the wealth of Stephen's three points. Point one, he says, hey, Israel's rulers, you've missed the point of Israel. He actually tells Israel's rulers that they've missed the point of Israel. The point of Israel was never just racially ethnic Israel, but it was to bless every race and ethnicity through Jesus That was the point, and they missed it. Then number two, he says, you've also misunderstood the temple. The point of the temple is not that God's locked into a building. In fact, the temple, the location of God's presence in the world, has shifted from a building made by humans to a human named Jesus. And now every human who's in Jesus by faith is the temple of God in the world. No matter the race, no matter the ethnicity or culture, So you've misunderstood Israel's purpose. You've misunderstood the temple's purpose. And number three, you've misunderstood the purpose of the law, the scriptures that you've depended on. If you think life's all about following the law, you've missed the point of the law. It's supposed to point you to Jesus. If you're following the law, it's a signpost that lands you on Jesus. That's the point of the law, and they missed it. They killed Jesus. And so Stephen, he throws down these three points and he's so clear in his teaching, in his talking, that they kill him. That's a really persuasive sermon, you know. Uh, Now now think with me on this too. There's this additional point. It's kind of ironic. Where are the apostles during this time? Like Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew. Where are the big 12? Where are the full-time preachers? Nothing wrong with full-time preachers, but they're like up in their study, which is an important place to be, but it's also a full-time job, you know? None of the full-time pastors are in this story. I want you to really absorb that. This is a moment for a spirit-filled, vocational Servant of God to be elected into a place that moves the entire church forward. Um, It would be amazing if this was the year of the Holy Spirit, but it would also be amazing at the same time if this was the year of profound theological growth. For you. You understand the story of God. Genesis to Revelation. You know why Obadiah is in there. You know what Ephesians is trying to say and the difference between Jonah and Nahum. Like these things are conversations that you're having an increased appetite for and how it all leads to Jesus. So practical starting point. Practically, read the Bible in a year. Have you ever done that? You ever read the Bible in a year? It's not easy. It's easy to kind of like fall off that train. But listen, I'd say it's very hard, it's very hard to um, r- navigate the world now without seeing apps for that, you know? like we all, There's an app, there's websites, books, PDFs. It's almost impossible to avoid like a one-year Bible plan somewhere. So like for real, like try reading the Bible in a year if you never have. Also, commit to just systematically scheduling Um, watching Bible Project videos. There's like over 150 videos. They tell you why books exist, sum up entire books in seven minutes, and you're like, okay, I see how this entire library of ancient documents points to the living word, Jesus Christ. I see, I'm getting it. I love the Bible Project's uh, motto, helping people experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus Can 2022 be the year you remind yourself what that means? And so also come ready, practically come ready for Galatians next week. We're going to go deep in Paul's letter to Galatia for three months. Bring your Bible, something to take notes with. It'll be a deep dive. The more you put in is the more you'll get back. Why not make this the year you grow in theological depth? And listen, this is not just about random Bible trivia. Knowing the scriptures is not just so you have more knowledge of the scriptures no, this is about knowing who God is. The God who has come down the mountain in the flesh as a baby and then breathed his spirit into you from mission. That God has made himself knowable through this library of documents that he breathed through authors for your life. It's, it's incredible. We can have this misunderstanding in our hearts that God's boring. Or or you can say, you know, I'm not really theologically minded, which is a misnomer. If you have any thoughts about God at all, then you're theologically minded. Uh, What we usually mean is, I don't really get nerdy about that stuff. But listen, listen, when you do just a little bit of study, and, and it'll boggle your mind what is in this book and who God has revealed himself to be. What's available to us. So let 2022 be the year, you guys. I found it's actually a rare thing. You know, it's a rare thing to to find people in San Diego who are both dripping with the Holy Spirit and theologically deep, just pursuing the narrative of Scripture with their whole heart. I have found it's very rare to see both all the way to 10, you know. They rarely go together because often, you know, we divide up. Often people who pursue the fullness of the Spirit, they're often classified as Pentecostals or whatever. And and often they're like, you know, we don't need to go deep into biblical theology here. We're all about the Spirit. All that Bible nerd stuff will just make you dry and prideful. That's often the misunderstanding. Or people on the other side who are like really into theology and Bible, they get freaked out when the Holy Spirit shows up, you know. And so we want both. We want word and spirit tangibly. That's why we have pre-gathering prayer here on Sundays, listening to the Holy Spirit, believing God has words, prophecies, knowledge, tongues for every member of the body of Christ. Because Paul said all every gathering have to be done in order for the whole church to be built up. So we put it on Sunday morning before every gathering at 7.45 a.m. You're all invited. It's beautiful. It's really comfortable and it's pastored well. Drew did a great job this morning, I heard. And uh, and come, listen to the Spirit, and then stay for the Scriptures at one of the gatherings. This is why we do both. When they come together in an individual life, something amazing happens, you guys. That's what Stephen was. That's what Jesus was. Word all the way. Theology, Scripture, I want to know the story, and Holy Spirit all the way. I believe He can work miracles in our midst. We're going to pound on the doors of heaven for God to move. Both. This is who we want to be. Let's make this that year. We grow in Holy Spirit and scripture. Let's resolve in our hearts, okay, whatever it is. I sometimes even jokingly suggest that we have dating standards around this. Like, as a part of dating requirements, we have a scale of theological depth, you know? Like, okay, that that guy's incredible, successful, he's got his stuff together, he's taking care of himself, but he's only a two in theological depth, swipe left, or whatever, (laughs) you know? Why not? I guess that's the real stuff. We need some categories for theological depth. Like, seriously. So the third and final thing from Stephen's life, Holy Spirit, theology, uh, from the scriptures. And number three, it's this balance of courage and humility. If you notice, the first and second empower the third. Another way of saying courage plus humility is grace plus truth. Courage to speak truth humility to give grace when you're wronged, treated unjustly, rejected. When you really feel the need to be right, the empowering presence of God gives you the grace to say, okay, I bless you. You guys, 2022, what if it's, what if it's even more entrenched with opinions and ideologies and potential for division. What if, what if 2022 is like more difficult than 2021 and 2020? 2020 in relational ways. With midterm elections coming. And then looking ahead to 2024. All these things are coming. The world needs to see Jesus. The world needs to see grace and truth on full display. We live in a culture that's dominated by the PC crowd, politically correct. And honestly, you guys, I'll just say it. It's killing us. Look what Stephen does. Is this courageous or not? Acts seven fifty-one through 53 He says... You stiff necked people, (laughs) your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who've received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. How much courage does it take to say that in front of the law experts, the Bible guys? incredible courage one of my great concerns today is that we live in a time when nobody has courage to say what is real to speak the truth we don't just speak you know an opinion we actually believe god defines reality and the problem is in our culture everybody wants to be liked the good side of our culture is empathy is a value that's good we need to affirm that where we can all the way. Listen to people's pain. But in the, at the end of the day, we have to recognize we live in a culture where the only thing that really matters at the end of the day is, is your opinion. And we're driven culturally by opinion, as if all opinions are valid. But, but, but not all opinions are equal. You know this. Listen, a lot of you don't know me. I, I want to know as many of you as I can possibly know as one person. But believe me, I absolutely care about people's experiences And stories, and I believe the church should be the safest place in the world to share your story of pain or abuse. Everyone's story matters and should be heard. But listen, listen, if we are the bringers of hope, if the church is the lighthouse of reality and hope in the world, we can't be driven by narrative authority. We have to be driven by biblical authority. When, when biblical authority confronts narrative authority, my personal story has to bend to God every time. If not, then I'm saying I'm God. Like I appreciate the Bible, it's beautiful and good, but I'm my own Bible at the end of the day. Or I appreciate Jesus, but you know, I, I see Jesus differently than you, so I'm my own Jesus. We have to be very careful that Jesus doesn't just become that really supportive friend who just affirms everything I do whether it's your perspective on American politics and you think Jesus votes your whole way or it's your perspective on sexual ethics and you think Jesus agrees with you. Maybe Jesus doesn't agree with what you think about politics and Jesus doesn't agree with what you think about stewarding your body. Maybe he has a a rebuke for you or for me and knowing that God is ultimately good, don't you think that rebuke is ultimately for your restoration and refreshment? Of course it is. But we have to listen to when Jesus is speaking, not just my filtered Jesus. I think a lot of us, we end up filtering Jesus. What we end up doing with our theology is we, we find a Jesus in the Gospels that we like. Oh, look, he's being nice there. Um, and, and, and it's not normally where Jesus is talking to a Pharisee and, and laying in, because we would never associate, we'd never picture ourselves as the Pharisee. We would self-identify with the person being bullied. So there's someone being bullied and there's someone, there's Jesus being nice. And so we take the idol and make a lens out of them. And we read that Jesus across the whole Bible and boom, you have an idol, a God in your own making. We can't be like that. Jesus doesn't let us, Stephen doesn't let us for sure. We want to be people who have the courage to actually speak the truth and, and and confront if necessary. And of course we do this in humility. We have to. We have to do it in love. I'm not talking about being a jerk or with paint on a sign, To quote John Mayer, no one ever changed their mind from a paint on a sign. We have no desire for that whatsoever. But we're not being loving when we just baptize people's opinions and call it truth. That's not loving. And we have to have a vision for this. This means, and I know this will be uncomfortable to hear for a lot of us, but it means growing as a family that confronts sin in a context of trust. And I get it. Confronting sin is not sexy. (laughs) You know, how many of you feel super confident in your sin confrontation skills? Like you like it. There's one of you genuinely. Let's talk afterwards. That might be problematic. You know, (laughs) so you like love confronting sin. You feel great about it. You see people in the community doing something inappropriate. And you're like, I got this one, guys. Don't worry. No, of course not. You know, I mean maybe, maybe I do with you sometimes. I know, especially if it's like, you know, you know, those that you're closest with, you tend to call out the sin and like your kids or your wife more aggressively, but like, you know, because we don't want the rest the rest of the world to see us as confronting. But like I I honestly, um, it's not the church of Jesus and the church of opinions. It's gotta be the church of Jesus. Um, he's Lord of all, he's king of the universe. And so as members of his family. We have to remember the Christian life is about self-denial, not self-fulfillment. We have to acknowledge that the Christian goal, the goal, the way Jesus ended his life, you think that's the way we, sh- if we're Jesus followers, should we want to end our lives the way Jesus ended his life? If we're following Jesus, should we want to end our life like him? Live our life start to finish, yes or no? Y- yes. The answer is yes. So that's why he said, take up the cross and follow me. So if that's the goal, to take up a cross, listen, Jesus was crucified as a political failure in front of everyone. So if our goal is to be liked, we're in the wrong faith. Let's make this the year we grow in the Holy Spirit and the- theological depth and courage that's completely humble where we're willing to have those hard conversations in a context of trust. I say context of trust intentionally because social media is not that. Do not debate the Bible on social media, okay? Do not do this. Do not do this, (laughs) okay? Here's, so, so here's very practically, here's how it needs to go. If you have sin in your life and you're a Christian, you're following Jesus. You need to have this community where it's like, hey, I got your back, you got mine. All right? I trust you. I open myself to you. Are you open good? We have this one-to-one agreement. It's like a verbal contract. And then and then someone needs to come in on that. Like for real. People should not be people should not be jaded by your church because of your character. People sh- should not There's enough of that. There's enough of that in the news. The best downloaded podcasts are all about these leaders that are just being brought down by exposés, and rightfully so, 100%, these abusive, power-mongering leaders need to be exposed for the, for the sake of Christ's glory in the church and in the world, 100%. But we're not even talking about that. I'm talking about like a no, like normal church. They can be, people outside the church can be disillusioned by my decisions as a leader, If I decide to stay the course and preach the scriptures, they can be disillusioned by the Bible all day long, but they better not be disillusioned by my character. Understand, that's a massive problem. So many people are disillusioned by the church because they come to church, they hear rumors, not just of Mars Hill podcasts, but they hear rumors about whatever Park Hill Christians. I'm not thinking of anyone in specific. I'm trying to bring it home just so we feel this. They, they hear rumors about San Diego Christians uh, sleeping around or getting drunk or whatever else. They're like, oh yeah, they teach against that, but they do it. Cool, why? What's the point? You know, um, so, so people, can, you, we, we evaluate within the church all the time on silly things like the quality of the music or, or the quality of the kids' ministry, and that's fine, but, but your life is the thing everyone in San Diego is looking at. My life is the thing. And so in everyday life, we have to be willing to have a context of trust where we come in on each other's sin and and, and in love, call people higher. I don't know if you've been in a community group setting where um, what tends to happen is the lowest maturity level tends to set the bar of the experience. You know, what if our communities, that bar was raised and and. Those that are immature are being brought up lovingly into slowly but surely higher levels of, like, humility and truth. And we, we're not defined by the lowest level of maturity. But we're welcome. We're welcoming of it. Where else, how else are you going to grow from, from anywhere? So in everyday life, this is it. I, I feel like I've gotten some amens, but less, from these last few points. So, so thank you. Uh, so, so your... Tr- Your truthful position doesn't matter without a humble posture. Your truthful position doesn't matter without a posture of humility. Again, here's Stephen's posture of humility, literally dying for his enemies. After Stephen pokes the hornet's nest, look at Acts 7, verse 60. He says, Lord, do you have, there it is. Look at that. Can we read that all together? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Speaks the truth, they retaliate, he blesses. He's not remotely defensive or touchy or anxious. Grace and truth. Most people are one or the other. Some people love to fight to the bitter end, but here's a guy who picks a fight out of courage, but is willing out of humility to lay his life down on the other side of things. This, you guys, is what our culture needs so desperately. Courage and humility at the same time. And I think it's extremely interesting, you guys. How does this story end? After verse 60, you see Jesus standing at the right hand of his father. Normally, Jesus is sitting in the pictures of heaven. But in this case, he's standing at the right hand of the father just like this. Well done. This is my guy. Like you you are filled with the Spirit. That's what I did. You know the story. That's what I did. I knew the story. I knew where I was fitting in. And you know. And, and, And you're courageously speaking reality. God's reality into the world. With total humility to death. Well done. You have modeled your life after me. Stephen, well done. He speaks well done. Say hello to the first Christian martyr. Did you know in the historic church calendar, the day after Christ's birthday is the Feast of St. Stephen. Uh, December 26th every year is the feast of this man. The first man to be honored after the birthday of the incarnate God is the first one who was killed for standing up and and losing his physical life for the sake of Jesus. So just to wrap up and we're going to come to the table and if any, so today's Baptism Sunday again, I think there's there's an individual who signed up to be baptized today. I think they're maybe at this gathering, hopefully. And if you didn't sign up to be baptized, and you want to step into this life filled with the Spirit, like agreeing to follow Jesus with this family that will live forever, if that's you, then come forward. As soon as I open the water, come forward. We'll baptize you with all your clothes on. Like you don't have to change or anything. And, uh, and then we'll give you a towel and a new shirt, but like, we're ready to bring you into the kingdom today through the waters of baptism to say yes to this Jesus who is the answer to culture's problems. So just to wrap up, yeah, you guys can come and start doing like the, the pad thing. Um, you know, What's the sermon ending without the synth? So I say this in all seriousness, you guys. I say this not tongue-in-cheek. What an incredible time to be alive and following Jesus. I say it seriously, and yes, I'm totally aware of all, you know, the circumstances that we're in. I do not say it with my head in the sand in some pious religious, we-don't-talk-about-the-issues way. Like, I, like the ongoing pandemic, very real, the surge in variants, debates about vaccines and masks and mandates and freedoms and all the trauma that this is causing, especially for healthcare workers, well done healthcare workers, so many of them in our church. We honor you. Um, I'm aware of circumstances beyond the pandemic. Things are getting a little dicey in Taiwan with like new weapons manufacturing against China and like Russia, Ukraine. We hear about these things all the time. Um... I'm aware of the circumstances and and we use the word unprecedented a lot. They feel new. They feel unprecedented. Some of them are, but let's be honest. A lot of that feeling uh, I think is because we think we can see the whole world with our phones and we forget that what we're seeing is just a version of the world created by algorithms to keep us scrolling in our own echo chambers that tell us what to think, which is not reality, right? Right. So I step away from my phone and social media and I curate my newsfeed or responsibly back away from time to time from the news. And I intentionally engage with God and engage my real life relationships. And I engage relationships with people far from God. How often do you do this? Invite people far from God into your home. When you do this, you're like, oh, reality is more beautiful than my algorithm tells me. God is on the move. He's on the move in faith like a mustard seed. Not in the faith only of the full-time professional pastors, but in the Stevens. And, And so the reality is when you step back and you see the story of God and you locate yourself in it, the start of 2022 is this incredible moment to be alive. People are lonely. People everywhere are feeling like life is passing them by and they're losing purpose and they're aching to belong somewhere to a family and people are looking for framework for all the craziness. How am I supposed to think about the chaos? Guess what you guys, the family of God has the framework. You have the framework. The story of God that Stephen knew so well, that Jesus knew so well, that pointed to Jesus. This whole story of scripture is the framework. We have the answer to all of this. Meaning, belonging, family, peace. Peace through suffering. And in it all, Jesus says, in, you, you get life to the f- full. Regardless of circumstance, I give life to the full. That's, that's possible. Not only possible, it's happening all over Park Hill. We get to share that life in a culture that's very aware of its need for life. So the one crucial, crucial question for your life in 2022, let's take a deep breath and stand and think on this question. Can we stand together? The one crucial question that we need to think about (laughs) the first Sunday of 2022, it's not a question about the circumstances around you. How long will be the new normal or how long until division goes away or whatever. But it's those crucial questions aren't about circumstances outside of you. But it's this, it's inside of you. It's this question. Will you become more like Jesus this year? Will you become more a person of love like Jesus bearing the fruit of the spirit this year? That's the question. That's the will of God for you. It's all over the New Testament. So whatever's happening to you or around you, the most important thing is what's going on in you. So I'm gonna pray over us and then we're going to come to the table and then we'll open the waters of baptism and open the room for prayer. Church, I think everyone can receive ministry today. Everyone, whether you're being baptized or you're eating and drinking the bread and cup or you're, you're receiving prayer, someone lays hands on you for power to step into this new year with a fresh sense of God's presence in your life. Everyone is ripe for ministry. So I'm gonna pray over you. Heavenly Father, breathe on us by your Spirit's power. May the fire that fell on the early church fall on us now. Bring us clarity. Clarity to see how much you love us and the wealth of resources that we can draw from in you. To live the way you've called us to live in the world.
0: Have us, take us.